Welcome to the Appalachian Folklore Podcast, a wild hike through the history and migration of the folk culture, stories, traditions, and haints hidden in the hills and hollers of Appalachia. I'm your host, Aaron Bobick. Hey folks, welcome to the May 2023 edition of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. I recorded the last couple months in advance because I was out of town doing a bunch of stuff and then got COVID, so I'm glad I did that. But it's been a while since I've been in the recording room, and it's good to be back in the saddle. Speaking of COVID, I am still reeling from the fatigue and brain fog that comes with the COVID hangover. So this month's episode is going to be shorter. It's like Nick Offerman said, don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. And all that research and stuff that I did when I was in the mountains that you may or may not have seen pictures of on the Instagram, I've decided to back burner those topics because it's going to be a suite of episodes involving interviews as well. And my brain just can't focus. It's hard enough for me to focus on most normal days when I didn't have COVID, but this is just making it worse. And I wanted to give those topics the respect they are due because I really think you guys are going to enjoy them. I know it's stuff that I've enjoyed for a long time and I'm finally getting to do deeper dives into the research and then share that with you guys. So instead of slacking off on those topics and those episodes, I thought I'd do an episode this month that is a little more off the cuff and talks a lot about things that I grew up with, turns a phrase that I grew up with from my maternal grandparents growing up in the country. So if I go down tangent rabbit holes a little more frequently than I do normally, I'm going to blame it on the COVID brain fog. But I also wanted to make sure that I just got an episode out. I was thinking about delaying the episode until later in the month or just skipping it all together. But because I just hit the 500 follower mark on Twitter, I wanted to show the respect that I have for all of you who listen to this monthly or bi-monthly. And I, I didn't want to screw you over and not do an episode. So I want to thank you all for those of you who do follow me on Twitter or any other social media platform. Thank you so much. It means quite a bit to me. I'm very humbled and very grateful for all of you who listen and share in this interest in folklore, Appalachian folklore in particular, and listen to my tiny little show twice a month. And as I said on Twitter, I can't even count that high. And I don't think I've ever had 500 of anything. So thank you. The foundation of this episode is really just going to come from a couple of turns of phrase that I grew up with from my grandparents out in the farmland of Northwest Ohio. We had 80 acres of corn and beans up there. And then my grandfather had eight acres that he used for his own private business, which was fixing and selling pallets. So that property had an old farmhouse on it. And on the back end of the property was a cabin that my grandparents lived in later on in their life, later on in my childhood. And between there was just giant fields of corn that we would run through to get from the farmhouse to the cabin and vice versa. So one of those phrases I grew up with was, the corn should be knee high by the 4th of July. And growing up with all my friends back in the city in Northeast Ohio, a lot of my friends in high school and college when I would say that phrase whenever we would drive by a field of corn, they'd look at me like I had three heads, which is another weird phrase because I feel like if you had two heads, you'd look weird and people would look at you weird. And I don't know why I had to go three heads, but, you know, go hard or go home. My grandmother would use that to kind of give an indicator as to whether or not the crop was doing well that year, because if it was knee high by the 4th of July, usually the crop was going to do pretty well. This is an example of a term that I had only recently become familiar with called phenology. That's P-H-E-N-O-L-O-G-Y. 
And I got this from Icy Sedgwick's bonus episode on her Patreon page from June 3rd, 2022, called Planting Customs According to Folklore. And if you're not a Patreon subscriber of Icy Sedgwick's Fabulous Folklore podcast, you're not doing it right. I'm going to have a link to her Patreon and her website in the show notes. Click on both of those. Go ahead and become her Patreon supporter. But as I said, that was where I learned of the study of phonology, which I'm going to go ahead and quote Wikipedia here because that's just the easiest way to go about it. Phonology is the study of periodic events in biological life cycles and how these are influenced by seasonal and interannual variations in climate, as well as habitat factors such as elevation. Examples include the date of emergence of leaves and flowers, the first flight of butterflies, the first appearance of migratory birds, the date of leaf coloring in fall in deciduous trees, the dates of egg-laying birds and amphibia, or the timing of the developmental cycles of temperate zone honeybee colonies. In the scientific literature on ecology, the term is used more generally to indicate the time frame for any seasonal biological phenomena. All of that is a very long-winded Wikipedia way of saying that phenology is essentially looking at indicators in nature or reading the natural world around you to determine whether you should or should not do certain things like plant, harvest, or how well your crop is doing. So she references, and it was phrases I grew up with, like plant corn when the oak leaves are as big as squirrel's ears, or corn should be knee-high by the 4th of July, are examples of that phenology to give you an idea of when to plant and how well your crop is doing. Another one of these phenologic traditions, which I don't know if that's a phrase or not, but I'm going to go with it, is Groundhog Day, kind of giving you an idea of when spring is going to start. It's a Pennsylvania Dutch tradition in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. And Puxatawney Phil, the groundhog that comes out and sees his shadow, or doesn't, is the main celebrity of the day. So if he sees his shadow, he will retreat into his den and winter will go on for six more weeks. If he does not, it means that spring will come early. This is very similar to something my grandmother told me growing up on the opposite side of the season, that as soon as you hear the locusts, winter is about six weeks away. Or at least that's how I remember it, and it might not be 100% accurate, but hey, that's folklore. So I kind of want to pick that apart. So for those of you unfamiliar with growing up in the north, specifically the Midwest, Ohio, you get about three to four months of warm, humid weather, and the rest of it is cold and crappy and rainy and a special kind of depressing gray. Suffice it to say, the growing season is a lot shorter than it is in the south. If you want to learn a little bit more about how seasonal variation between the north and the south affects our foodways, I did an interview on folklore, food, and fairy tales with Rachel kind of getting into that. And I referenced the article, Green Bean Casserole, Commercial Foods as Regional Tradition by Lucy M. Long. And I picked that up from the women over at Graveyard Coffee Talk. So six weeks in the north, let's say it's about two months. And two months after the peak brood of cicadas, which is what my grandmother called locusts, comes around July, August. So that'll put you two months later, about late September, October, early November. And that's when it starts getting cold. So it's not necessarily winter, but I think it means more of like the first cold snaps, the first frosts or freeze warnings that you would get. And as a farmer, you would want to have your harvesting 
pretty much done by that time so that you don't damage your crops because remember back in the day if those people didn't their crops didn't survive they weren't going to eat that winter or they wouldn't be able to sell things at the market to make the money to buy things that they couldn't grow or make themselves like coffee or sugar or oils lamp oil things like that so when we had the cacophonous droning of cicadas in the cops of trees outside of the cabin my grandmother knew that in about two months or so she was going to start seeing the combines and the harvesters out in the fields getting the corn in getting the beans in because yes generally that is the harvest season but also they want to get it in because it was going to start getting cold another phrase that i'm sure most of us have heard is red in the morning sailor's warning red at night sailor's delight and i'd always heard it as just that with the sailors but then as i got into studying uk folklore i heard it bandied about with shepherd's warning instead of sailors and icy had reached out to me a while back asking if we had the same turn of phrase here as read in the morning shepherd's warning read at night shepherd's delight or variations of and after i took a deep breath from my fanboy moment having had icy sedgwick just ask me for folklore information i said yeah it was we have that phrase but it's sailor's warning which i always thought was interesting because where i heard it where my grandparents live there's not a body of water for hundreds of miles and so it always was weird to hear sailors and not shepherds not that they're shepherds either but it would make more sense and then i got to thinking myself well where does that come from why is the red sky a good indicator of rain and i sent her a link with the science behind it and she was very kind and basically she just needed a yes or no answer and i kind of nerdily had a fanboy moment but the science behind it is very interesting i pulled the information on that from a scientific american article from june 23rd 2003 titled is there scientific validity to the saying red sky at night sailors delight red sky in the morning sailors take warning and it turns out there is the author first states that the saying is very old it's in matthew 16 verses 2 through 3 The following quote is attributed to Jesus, who I think I've heard of before. When it is evening, ye say, fair weather, for the heaven is red. And in the morning, foul weather today, for the heaven is red and lowering. And this red hue in the clouds is the result of two factors. And I'll just go ahead and quote from the article here. The first is that weather systems generally travel from west to east in the mid-latitudes. Because the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, a rising sun in advance of an approaching weather system would illuminate the approaching mid and high level clouds to create a red sky in the morning. Alternatively, if the sun is setting as a weather system exits and high pressure is building, then the departing clouds would be illuminated. This would create a red sky at night with fair weather to follow. The reddish color results from scattering of sunlight by suspended particles and aerosols in the atmosphere. The sun's rays pass through a greater length of atmosphere at sunrise and sunset than at any other time of day. In addition, aerosol, dirt, and dust concentrations are maximized in the lowest layers of the atmosphere when the atmosphere is dominated by sinking air or high pressure. Therefore, when under high pressure, we can see vivid red sunsets and sunrises. So that's a pretty good indicator if you see that ruby red sunrise that you're going to have rain somewhere in the area that day. Another good indicator are alto cumulus clouds. 
they kind of take on a patchwork or pancake formation in the sky. And I was told those are indicators that you're going to get rain in the next like 24 to 36 hours. So if you couple those two things, the alto cumulus clouds the day before, and then the red sky in the morning, there's a fairly good chance you're going to get some storms, which is exactly where I am today. And it's looking pretty nasty, so I should probably wrap this up here. If you have any weather or agricultural lore from your family, from where you grew up, wherever that may be, I would love to hear it. As always, you can send me an email at appfolklorepod at gmail.com. I did have one person write me about the Devil's Tramping Ground episode, said that that brought back some nostalgia for him of goofing around in the area when he and his buddies were kids, and he was going to send me the story, which I would love to hear him. Still waiting on that, by the way. I'm always happy to read it in an email, or you can send a voice memo and attach that to an email as well. And with your permission, I might read it on the podcast if you're all right with that. Very quickly to close out the episode, as I always do, I want to read a little bit from the Frank C. Brown collection of North Carolina folklore. Since it is May Eve, I thought I would bring to you some divinations that you might use to find out who will love you in the new year. If you try any of these, do please let me know. On the first day of May, go out and pick sage before day, and the one you are going to marry will come and pick with you. Go out the first morning in May before the sun is up and find a snail. Sprinkle some meal on the floor or flower and place the snail in it. The course of its crawling will form the name of the man or woman you are to marry. Similarly, on May 1st, if you put a handkerchief on growing wheat and lay a snail on the handkerchief, the initials of your future mate will be on the handkerchief the next morning. If you look down a well on May 1st, you will see the face of the one you are to marry reflected in the water. And finally, on May 1st, not Halloween, if you peel an apple without breaking the peelings and throw it over your right shoulder, the initials of the first name of your fate will be formed. Thanks again for stopping by the Appalachian Folklore Podcast and for sticking with me through this episode this month. Even just doing this little bit of recording, my brain is spent and I'm probably going to go take a nap. I'll have a new episode of Stories from the Cabin on May 15th. And as always, y'all be good. Thanks for spending your time with me here at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. If you'd be so kind as to rate and review this show on whatever platform you use, I'd be much obliged as it helps spread the word. You can email me at appfolklorepod at gmail.com and visit my website shows.acast.com slash AFP. You can find me at appfolklorepod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find me on Mastodon at appfolklorepod.com at thefolklore.cafe. Thanks to Jonathan Ochoa for the AFP cover art. You can find his work on Instagram at Inkwell Graphic Design. Thanks again for listening.